welcome back to season two of Outside of Session. I'm your host, licensed clinical social worker and therapist BFF, Julie Hilton. This season, I'm interviewing some incredible guests who also happen to be experts in their fields. Mental health, motherhood, spirituality, and so much more, I can't wait for their stories to be told. These are all the conversations I'm having outside of session. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode, and I happen to think that you're really going to enjoy this one. I sat down with Dr. Jonathan Dunlap for a conversation on how shifting your perspective is transformative in therapy. And I'm not going to give much away about it here. You're just going to have to listen to the episode to get all the goods on what that means. A little bit more about Jonathan. He began his career in 2005 working at a local nonprofit organization as an adult case manager after graduating with his bachelor's degree from Jackson State University. He continued to get his master's degree from Liberty University and then received his license in professional counseling in 2009. And then he received his doctorate in professional counseling in 2017 from Mississippi College. He has a wide range of experience in counseling, including but not limited to alcohol and drug, geriatrics, children and adolescents, and currently he works with adults in his private practice. He has a unique approach to counseling where he blends existential therapy with a model he created called Shifting Perspectives, and we're going to get to learn all about it here today in this episode. So everyone help me welcome Dr. Jonathan Dunlap. Hey, Dr. Dunlap. Hey, Julie. I'm so excited about you being here today. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you for having me. I've been really looking forward to this uh, this recording, so I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I was just saying before I hit record that I feel like today is going to be a little bit of a different episode because rather than talking about a specific issue that as a therapist you work with and practice. We're talking a little bit more about your style and what you've developed. So I'm just, I'm so curious to be honest, and I can't wait to yeah. hear all about it. Well, I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about it. You know, I think as therapists, we don't often get the chance to talk about ourselves. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of nervousness about, oh gosh, this whole session is about talking about me. But at the, <laughs> at the same time, I think I'm a little bit excited about it too. So I'm, 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 I'm ready. Yeah, I love it. So before we dive into uh, like what you're doing in practice now, I'm curious because we had a little bit of a conversation a few weeks ago when we first started talking about recording this mm -hmm. and you were sharing about how as a new therapist, just some of the experiences that you had, um, but I'm hoping that you can share with us like what your path was as, as a clinician to land you where you are today that has kind of guided you before we start talking about where you are. Like, what was that journey like for you? Yeah. So, you know, I got into this field because it's an interesting story because I was in, I was in high school and I was in the library one day and I was taking a nap before class started because, you know, the library is where you're supposed to take naps. Right. And so um, this guy that I, didn't really associate with, I mean, we weren't even on hello terms. It's, it's just, mm -hmm. it was just a fellow peer that just passed me uh, in crossing just throughout campus. But he came in and he woke me up and he said, hey, I got a question for you. And I thought he was joking because, you know, we don't even talk. So I, I started laying my head back down. He said, no, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. And so I said, okay, what's going on? And he had a whole situation about his girlfriend and he wanted some, some advice. 
And so I thought it was a little bit weird, but I went on and gave him some advice. But the thing that really hooked me in was two weeks later, he came back and he pushed me, touched me on the shoulder. And he said, hey, you know what you told me? I really appreciate that. That really helped. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, my gosh, <laughs> have I found my calling? <laughs> Isn't it crazy how like a random moment yeah. that we weren't even expecting can like change the traje trajectory of our entire future. That's I crazy. Know. Yeah. And, and yeah. it just, it stands out to me. And I've, I've told that story to, to several people, but that's, that's like the initial moment that got me mm -hmm. thinking, okay, what's the path that gives me, puts me on the path to be able to do this more and more. Uh, so that, that's how I got started. Yeah. I love that. So, so what was it like for you after that? Like, how did you decide, okay, like I like helping people. I like the aspect of like learning about people's lives, um, and guiding them. What yeah. was it like as even like a new therapist? Right. Yeah. So after going through, um, all the psychology classes, I realized I really am interested in the mind and how, our like just the meanings that we place on things in life because the meanings we place on behaviors and thoughts and words because everything means something to mm -hmm. us and so that was deeply fascinating for me and so as a new therapist i felt like my my goal was to help i needed to help people get to get over these meanings and cross over into doing life better uh, but I realized I kept coming up against the stumbling block because help is also relative. Like mm -hmm. what I would do in that situation is not what they would do. So I, early on, I started facing this block of, wait a minute, I'm trying to help them in the way that I would live life if I were in their shoes. And I don't think this is the best approach, or at least it's not, it's not doing for me what I, what I was hoping that the field would do for me. Um, so I, I definitely ran up against that stumbling block right there in the beginning. Yeah. 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 And I think that, you know, a lot of times I have clients that will say, ah, just tell me what to do. Like, just right. give me advice. Just give me advice. <laughs> I have one client that comes to mind right now. Like she's constantly like, Julie, just, just tell me what to do. Um, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what you should do. Cause I'm not you. I don't, I'm not living your life. And so the advice that I would give you the way that I would handle that situation would be completely different because, um, my mom is different than yours. My mm -hmm. family unit is different from yours. And so I can only talk to you from my perspective. And as much as I'm learning about you, I still don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. So my job is not to give you advice. Right. My job is to help you sort through and come to like, you, you have to trust yourself that actually you do know what's best for you. You just need right. like a little nudge in getting there. Right. Right. Yeah. So when I, when I started working on my doctorate, my shift, I mean, my uh, thought process really shifted into self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And so my, my research was around self-awareness and the, the final product, the project that I did at the end was around self-awareness. And so as a result of that, I started looking at myself a lot more and yeah. I started noticing how I deal with pain. I started noticing the patterns that exist when I'm feeling emotions, when I'm feeling jealous, when I'm confused, when I'm excited. And I, what, what does my body do when these things show up? And I kind of noticed that the difference between like the smile and the frown, the thing that's between those two is simply ideas. I thought, wait a minute, is that, is that the thing that moves the frown to a smile? Hang on a second. I'm having to like yeah. pause and think about what you said. So the space between a smile and a frown is an idea. It's an idea. 
Yes. Because how many times in your session have the, has a client said to you, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Mm. And they walk away, nothing about their life has actually changed because they haven't, they literally haven't done anything. They're still sitting with you, mm -hmm. but they feel better. They feel empowered. They feel ready there. So it's, I realized, wait a minute, they adopted a new idea. And once yeah. they had that idea, they're, they're ready to tackle the world or at least another week before they meet with yeah. you again, <laughs> you know? So I'm curious what, what it was like to research self-awareness. Like, I'm just thinking about what that would be like, because I'm sure this is like really in-depth research, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were probably in the weeds on all the research on this. What was that like? So the, the, the way that I approached it, I have this, this thought process where I like to understand what a thing is and how it works. And so I looked at it more from this lens of, okay, I'm going to get all this information about self-awareness to try to understand, well, what is that? What is self-awareness? Yeah. You know, and how, how does that, how does that manifest in people's lives? How does it manifest in my life? Like, and how do I use that in therapy to help people to see themselves? Mm -hmm. um, because and so my approach was not so much about like gathering information, but more looking at all of it together to kind of come to this conclusion about what it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Does that make, that make sense? It does make sense. And I'm curious to hear more about what that conclusion was. Like after you spent all of this time gathering, reading, researching, when you're looking at putting it all together, like what are some of those like themes that you saw or realizations that you had? Like once you put it all together, what do you come up with? Yeah. So I noticed that I start with like marketing marketing is this trillion dollar industry and the message that permeates our subconscious is somebody else knows what's best for me <laughs> and <laughs> yes oh my gosh yes y'all should see me clapping yeah. <laughs> and so we're i mean we're googling things like how often should i drink water when the bot <laughs> the body literally knows how much water it needs yeah. but we there's so much effort and practice and conditioning and all these other words that come into us relying on someone else mm -hmm. to tell us what we need, that the actual source that can tell us exactly how much it needs, we don't really pay attention to that. And yeah. Yeah. it reminds me, I talk with, um, so, I, so since I work mostly with trauma, I talk with a lot of my clients about one of the things that I think we get robbed of mm -hmm. when we experience some kind of, um, trauma, especially childhood trauma, is the ability to trust ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Like as, as kids, I think that we don't even think to not trust ourselves right. in a lot of ways. Like we know ourselves pretty well. We have like a confidence about us. Um, if you work from a parts perspective, we kind of talk about like self is always confident and calm and mm -hmm. curious, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that when we have some sort of trauma or dysfunctional relationship, that's one of the things that goes first is our ability to trust ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes up in sessions all the time when people mm -hmm. talk about, you know, intuition or I was thinking I should, but I didn't know. And and so, yeah, that trust, trusting ourselves and, and then even knowing what the body is saying, what is, yeah. you know, what is the body even communicating um, when it's, when it's doing a thing, when it's feeling a feeling or mm -hmm. when I'm, 
when I'm anxious, what is my body even communicating to me? So that's um, that's all of that was 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 within the process of of self awareness. And I, I I'd like to use this example sometimes with my clients. I'll say something like, you know, when the when the mouth is dry, the body is communicating that it it needs some hydration. You know, when you feel that rumble in your stomach or whatever hunger feels like to that person, the body is communicating that it needs something. And so I, I tend to think about our emotions in that same way that when I'm mm. confused, okay, the body is doing this thing, so it needs something, you know? So what, is, what does it need? What does my confusion need? Like it needs questions. It needs to slow down and, and it needs clarity. Like, mm. and, that, and knowing those things kind of helps me to navigate the sessions with my clients and because yeah. and, and I might not tell them directly this like hey you're confused you need to ask the right questions it may not come <laughs> out you know like that but I will I can pick up on their confusion because I've looked at myself mm-hmm. and I know what my confusion needs and so if I see that they're confused then I simply ask clarifying questions or I say let's slow down for a minute you know, let's let's sit with this and see if we can sort through the fog because it feels a little bit foggy right now. And I'll just kind of acknowledge that uh, with them or for them. Um, but it all comes from the self-awareness, like the work that I continuously do with myself to understand how I'm moving through the world. And then yeah. I just bring that into the sessions. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm also thinking about you're kind of doing this research at that point in your career, mm-hmm. but you've also been trained in a lot of like the traditional therapy, like models. Right. right. And I think that this happens for most therapists that I know, but like you're trained in these, like the classical, like CBT and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when you get down to the real world, you develop your own style, you develop yeah. your own way of doing things, which I, I want to dive all into like, um, what you have going on in your practice now, but at that point, was it kind of a feeling of, yeah, this is not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It just, it wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. I could go to trainings and I could see other people doing their thing and it, I could see how it would work for them. But then I found myself simply trying to mimic what they were doing. And yeah. so there was always that disconnect with trying to work CBT in the way that CBT was presented or DBT in the way it was presented or EMDR in the way it was presented. And that's, it gets a little bit disconnected for me. So that's where shifting perspectives came in. Yeah, I, I agree. And I love that because again, like when we're talking about learning to trust ourselves, we as therapists have to learn to trust ourselves too, because I think Mm -hmm. about, um, we're dealing with such sensitive things in mm-hmm. therapy that I think a lot of times it's hard to even trust ourselves of like, how do I help this person through this? This is so heavy. It's so hard. And so a lot of people default to, okay, let me go back to the script that I was taught. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. where, that's what I can trust. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't translate very well. It becomes really stiff and impersonal and therapy is not the place for <laughs> nice teas, you know, right, and formalities. Right. And so I think that I've really grown as a therapist when I've allowed myself to modify and I've lo- allowed myself to say, but this is what I'm actually seeing helps my clients. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't fit into like a traditional framework. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love it that what you're saying is that you learn to trust yourself, which is what you're trying to teach your clients to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, now I'm ready to hear all about it. I'm ready to hear all about shifting perspectives. So this is what you call the framework that you're using. um, And it was influenced by all of this that we're talking about. So what does that look like in practice now? Yeah, so shifting perspectives, yeah, it's it's that framework I came up with to help the client see themselves. And to kind of, yeah, to kind of backtrack a little bit, my my practice is called ONA, ONA Counseling and Consulting, and ONA is Swahili for C, you know, S-E-E-C, and that really resonated with me because that's what I was doing. I felt like I'm helping my clients see themselves, see their problems, see their solutions, and to see them clearly. And so shifting perspectives, I have, there are four different practices or exercises that I work with with my clients to help them move that frown to a smile by intentionally like being strategic with ideas. And so I say, okay, how do I get someone to engage with ideas? Because that's, that was a whole different line of thinking than, than what I'd been taught. And what I noticed was a lot of what we're a lot of our feelings and a lot of the things that that guide the way we live in the world come from some baseline absolute idea. You know, Mm -hmm. you take, for example, for, you know, any of the Christian listeners or people that are familiar with Christianity, the phrase God is good. We've heard that in in many, many spaces. But that phrase, that that idea, that line doesn't change regardless of how I feel, if the if the situation is pleasant or unpleasant, the idea still stays the same and life is kind of adjusted to meet the idea. Mm. And so I thought, okay, so if it happens here, then is part of this process, you know, part of the process is like choosing an idea and like making it permanent during our conversation. This is a permanent idea. It's true. It's forever true. Now let's talk about it. Yeah. You know. So how do you help? So when you start working with a client, is one of your first steps to identify what what that statement already is for them? Mm-hmm. So it there are a couple of ways I do it because I was I'll give you an example. I was working with this person who uh, she felt like she was an overthinker. And this is something that comes up in session. And and she wanted to stop being an overthinker. How do I stop doing this? You know, and so one of the ways that I find an idea is by one, choosing and choosing the thing that the client is running from. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, you want to stop being an overthinker. Before we go down the road of stopping and changing, mm-hmm. let's look at this phrase, I am an overthinker. I am an overthinker. Oh, okay. You know? So you kind of take like what the problem is and you put it into a like almost like an I am statement because that's how you narrow down to like that's what the belief already is. It's what it already is. It's living mm-hmm. within them. When they show up to session, it's already alive and they spend so much time running away from it yeah. that I feel like we let's let's actually talk about it. All right. So you are an overthinker. Let's make it true, just as permanent as God is good in this mm, in yeah. this session. And so with that, then we start to explore. How does an overthinker take breaks? How does an overthinker parent in such a way that it benefits everyone in the family? How does an overthinker prevent burnout? How does an overthinker build successful relationships with people and have healthy boundaries? And I just simply leave that statement as true and we explore their life without looking at, I need to stop overthinking. That is so interesting because I think you're right. Like most people would come in and say, this is the thing I want to work on changing. Right. 
And what you're saying is I'm not trying to change that because you already believe it. Right. That's so interesting. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a fascinating process to watch, Julie. Like it really is. So when you're working with people and you tell them, let's don't try to push this away. Let's try Uh to like embrace it as if it's true and Uh make adjustments according to that. Right. Are we making adjustments? I don't, at, in the point when we're in session, we're actually not even focused on making adjustments just okay. yet. We're just trying to get the client to to see that this is what's already true for them. Because they're already making adjustments by trying to run away from it. That's These are mm-hmm. all the adjustments they're already making. They, they put their timer on and they put on a, you know, 30, I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes. That's an adjustment, you yeah. know, or I'm going to make sure I'm not going to read a book while I'm eating. I'm just going to eat and not do two things. That's an adjustment. Yeah. But they keep coming back to, oh my God, I'm still an overthinker. Right, so right. I, I use the time in session to let's, let's see how does an overthinker live? How does an overthinker create relationships? How does an overthinker Mm-hmm. truly actively listen to their children when they're speaking? How does an overthinker do it? So when you start that process, does it also impact the emotions around it? It does. Yes. Like, in, like in, if you approach it from a place of how does an overthinker actively listen to their children instead of being feeling guilt, do they look at it more like, no, as an overthinker, I can learn to be fully present with my children. And so I have less guilt or anxiety or whatever the negative emotion is because they feel like they have more of a plan of like, I still can do this. Yeah. So let me, I'm going to answer that question, but first I'm going to like insert okay. something that I feel. This is my personal thought about emotions. Okay. I think that because I feel everything, everything from you know, peace to rage and everything in between. I feel all the things. Then I'm not really much of of an advocate of not feeling things or doing a thing so I won't feel. Okay. I think that some things naturally are are fixed to a feeling based just culturally, you know, depending on where you're raised, you know, if you, if you hold the door for someone, then you're, you know, you might be perceived as nice. And so here comes this feeling of altruism because I've, I am holding the door, but maybe in another place you hold the door to like, what are you doing? You know, and now I feel weird. So I think that we feel all the feelings. So to come back to your question, like if the overthinker realizes that guilt is a part of overthinking then we we make peace with that you know like and so i use the process of therapy to to understand like i kind of going back to understanding what it is so a part of being an overthinker means you're going to feel all the feelings being an overthinker just like not being an overthinker you're going to feel all the feelings so if guilt shows up in this place but it doesn't show up in this place that's a part of being an overthinker. Hmm. And can we allow all the feelings to happen because they're going to happen anyway, without being so hyper-focused on, let me change, let me be Mm -hmm. something other than what I am. So I guess my question with that is, 
when you're looking at what these truths are, Uh is there ever a time where you would say, I don't want to adopt that because it, it, um, maybe it's something that I don't want to be my truth. Like I don't, I feel like that's becoming part of my identity. Uh So I definitely leave that up to the client. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not, I don't push like, this is what we, what we have to do. And so if there, we've, I've worked this with one client and we, we talked about, um, what was the thing that we talked about? It was something about, we were talking about perspectives and how everybody can perceive you in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and he ended up talking about like being all the things that people perceive him as true. So if one person sees him as angry, then that's okay. If another person sees him as happy, then that's okay. And if another person sees him as this, then that's okay. And so he talked about accepting that I am all those things. Well, we explored it a little bit, but that didn't work for him. He said it just, it created a sense of, it was too much, too much weight for him. And for him, he needed to categorize his life in in such a way where he didn't have to be everything all the time. But I still feel like we, we landed at that place that felt natural for him. He listened to himself. And that's the whole process here. It's, yeah, it's not yeah. about them yeah. doing a certain thing the way that I'm doing. All I'm doing is using the, the, the process to engage ideas until they land on one that creates a realization for them. And they say, you know, I like the categorized life. I say, okay, well, tell me about the categorized life. What does that, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Even as opposed to what we just talked about. And then we went down that road and, and then we translated over into their waking space and when they're out working and when they're, you know, outside of sessions, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I guess I'm thinking about, so if I, if I work with a lot of clients who have like a history of um, sexual abuse or, Um, you know, childhood trauma, I can see where, um, again, like if some of these experiences have made them not trust themselves, that I wonder how can that impact what their truth is. Like what if someone come in and their truth that they're telling themselves at that point is that I am broken uh-huh. or something like that. Yeah. Um, like how would you work with someone that, that presents with those kind of beliefs about themselves? Okay, perfect. Can we do an exercise? You want to do an exercise with me? Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask you a series of yes or no questions. Okay. And if the answer is no, I have one one instruction for you. If the answer is no, I'm going to ask you why, and I want you to say, because that's yours. Okay. If the answer is no, you say why, and I say, because that's yours. Right, because that's yours. Okay. Right. Got it? Got it. All right. So let's say that I don't like the way lavender smells. Okay. What What smell don't I like? Lavender. Lavender. Okay. Does my dislike for lavender on this day at 1241 have anything to do with you? It does not. And why? Because that's yours. Okay. Well, what if you happen to walk by me, you know, one day and you're wearing something that smells like lavender? Is it your fault that my body doesn't like lavender when you walked by? No. And why is that? Because it's yours. Okay. Let's push it a little further. Let's say you know, you know that my body doesn't like lavender and you decide I'm going to wear it 
to see what kind of reaction it creates within him. And you do. And my body reacts. Is it your fault that my body does not like lavender even in that moment? No. And why? Because it's still yours. Because it's still mine. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's come back to the client who has, has experienced trauma. What do they often do? They often assume responsibility in places where their responsibility does not belong. Mm-hmm. And so in this first time, the first part I was talking about embracing what's mine, another perspective is also realizing what's theirs, like not theirs as the client, but the other person. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, I, and I might use that perspective with the client of helping them to see, well, what's theirs? What is theirs that you're owning that, that literally has nothing to do with you because it's their thing? And, and so even that kind of still fits in some of those absolutes and it challenges them a little bit because even when you talk about something like intentions, like, well, Julie intentionally wore it and then I did get a reaction. So it is kind of, it is kind of her fault, but at the, at the base level of it, it's not your responsibility or your fault that my body doesn't like what it doesn't like. That's not your mm-hmm. fault and you can, it'll never be your fault. And so we, I'll, I'll explore that road maybe with a client who's experienced some trauma. So that reminds me of how, like, I talk with my clients about um, your stuff, my stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my stuff is everything that I can control, mm-hmm. which includes my decisions, but it also includes my reactions to things, the way that I choose to perceive them, the way I choose to respond, um, to a certain extent, being able to choose your own emotion, um, And if I can't control it, it's because it's not mine. Mm -hmm. So anything outside of my control is not my, my business. So it's like my business, your business. Right. Mm -hmm. And so with you describing it that way, is it kind of helping people say, if they come in and they're saying I'm broken, that they're actually, that that actually means that they're taking on something that is not their responsibility. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So maybe that's not their actual belief. Maybe that's something that they're, t- they're telling themselves, but that's something that they've actually picked up from someone else. Yeah. And you, but you know, you also know the, was, was what I like about what I do is I can explore both mm-hmm. and I might not do both at the same time, but mm-hmm. I will look at, I am broken and I say, okay, let's, let's sit with that. Let's look at what that is. Let's look at what it means to be broken. Like, are you broke? Are you, you know, tell me about that. Are you broken when you, when you wake up in the morning and you yawn and you have morning breath and you're, you roll out of bed and you get ready to turn the AC up because it's cold and you really like that blanket because it kept you warm. Is that a moment where you're thinking of being broken mm-hmm. or is the I am broken like situational? You know, like I'll, let's, let's talk about I am broken. Yeah. And so we could go down that road of embracing it, which is the first the first perspective is embracing it and, and looking at unbroken. And okay. then we could also look at the second perspective, which is that's yours okay. and see what is what's someone else's. You know, what is the thing that I'm taking responsibility for within being broken? That's not actually mine. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And yeah. so both both can be true at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of you know, strategically using it in session. And, and that's, and that's all kind of things that I've, I've learned over the years of how and when to use which perspective.
Hey everyone, I just wanted to pause for a quick moment to say thank you so much for all the love and support that you're showing outside of session. If you haven't already, do me a huge favor and hit the subscribe button, give me a five-star review, and share this podcast with all of your friends. Help me take this show to another level. Now, back to today's episode. You know, it's interesting when, when you were saying before of saying like, let's sit with what if this is true? Mm-hmm. the example of I'm broken popped into my head. And my immediate response when you were talking was like, no, I would never ask a client to say, well, what is it like if you're broken? But, but I'm realizing that like, that is my stuff coming in mm. yeah. because I, I don't want my clients to feel like they are broken. But what you're saying is that's my stuff, <laughs> right? Like that's my <laughs> responsibility. Yeah. And that there's actually some value in being able to sit with, what does that even mean? Instead of just immediately trying to change it. Yeah because we assume that it, it comes with feelings of, um, hopelessness or, um, you know, having less worth, you know, those kind of things that come up with, um, being broken. But what you're saying is like, hang on a second, what are you actually telling yourself throughout mm-hmm. the day? If you have this belief of I'm broken, like how is yeah. it actually showing up and sitting with that uncomfortable feeling to explore it first? Right. Yeah. When does it show up? Where do you feel it in your body? Yeah. And this yeah. is this is all going back to that self-awareness, because sometimes they'll know that their life is and they're feeling turmoil, but they won't even know where they're feeling it in their body. And so we'll, yeah. we'll just have we'll have a week between sessions where say, like, OK, I am broken is what we're looking at. Let's hold that. Let's hold that for a week. Let's not get rid of it just yet. And all you're doing this this week is trying to see where do you feel it yeah. in your body when that phrase shows up because it's there it's already you showed up to session with it so it's there mm-hmm. but let's let's see where you feel it in the body and we can use that information to see what the body's communicating and it kind of goes back into what we talked about earlier yeah and I, I love that you're saying that because i feel like people are finally becoming more and more aware of that there's um so often a disconnect between Mm -hmm. what we're thinking about ourselves and what we're actually feeling, but our body carries so much. And a lot of people never stop and ask themselves that question of where do I feel that in my body? And I'll ask questions, I'll ask clients that all the time. And they're like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of that mind body connection and doing that work to being able to say like, Oh, that is very much. um, and, And being able to name a specific place of like that, sits on my chest. Well, what does it feel like on your chest? Because you can have different feelings in your chest too, but being able to name, like that's exactly where it is. Yeah. So you do a lot of that, like somatic work with it as Mm -hmm. well. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes it's, it's less overt. I'll just, Mm -hmm. I'll just walk them through it or I'll allow them to experience it. And then I'll, I'll name it. Um, you know, just, I, I see that you're kind of reflecting this kind of counseling one-on-one type of thing where I'll, I'll reflect what their body is doing and asking them that they notice that. Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely use all of those tools and it's my, my ultimate goal here is kind of, if I'm jumping right way back to the beginning of shifting perspectives, if I, I notice that when a person has a realization mm-hmm. or an epiphany, then the change that we're often looking for as therapists has already happened. 
Like once they realize a thing, then the change is there. And, you know, I think about a person who's who's walking and maybe they keep stumbling and they're, they're falling and they're they're confused and they're frustrated. And then they realize their shoes are untied. It's like once they realize yeah, yeah. that it's, it's almost like nothing else is needed at that point. You know, the path has already changed because the realization has occurred. Yeah. And so that that's my that's my end goal within shifting perspectives. It's not focused on progress or focused on a specific thing that they do better. But what I've noticed is simply by exploring ideas with them, they come to a realization. It just like magically happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's like the fascinating part about it. It it all is because it, it just it just happens randomly. And I, I know you've been in session many times where a client had an aha moment and you were like, what part of this conversation was aha worthy? Right. You know, but <laughs> but they had a moment, so I'm just going to let them keep it, you know, yeah. and, and that's and that's just what it ha- how it happens. And even what you're describing with the um, the two perspectives that you shared, the bracing and the that shores, mm-hmm. both of those are helping clients see themselves because mm-hmm. that's like that's like the. The thing holding all of this up, right, is like right. if you can see yourself differently, then that's what ends up shifting that perspective. Yeah, or yeah. see yourself as you are. As you are. Yeah. 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 And different. Yeah, differently. I mean, by like a way you haven't seen yourself before, oh, right, but it probably right. are, always has been, right? Yeah. So that's two of the perspectives. Do you want to share the other two? Of <laughs> yeah, so I don't I'll want you to a, tell all your secrets today. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give a quick one. Like the 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 last two, one of them is the the third one is let go, and the fourth mm. one is let's see. Mm. And so the the third one, we've we've introduced this idea of responsibility. Like in the example I gave, are you responsible for? No, that's yours. Yeah. Um, so let go is about no one within this situation is responsible. No one is at fault. And and that's a that's an interesting one to explore with clients too because what I've noticed is we don't tend to create responsibility and fault unless a label is associated and a label being positive negative good or bad mm-hmm. you know when I when you sat down in your chair to do the recording if you didn't label that experience as a positive sit down then you just sat down and you kept on doing your thing. Yeah. You know, so no responsibility was given. You didn't say, oh, gosh, Julie sits down great, you know, or, <laughs> you know, or this man, you're just chair manufacturer, like, wow, they make sturdy <laughs> chairs. You, you didn't do that. There was no label, positive or negative. Yeah. So no responsibility or fault was given. And so what I tend to do with let go is we look at a situation and I challenge them to see how no one is at fault in this situation, even if the person perceives what they've done as a mistake or Mm. wrong. And that's the challenge because they want to take ownership of the entire situation. Yeah. So you work with couples a lot too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I do. I can see how that would be really, really helpful with couples because a lot of times there's just so much blame Mm -hmm. on things being done wrong, right? Right. So does that come up with couples a lot of trying to say, let's neutralize the situation and stop looking at it as, as somebody has to take responsibility because something was done wrong? Right. Definitely. And to your, to your point about childhood trauma, I mean, both people coming together have their own histories that neither person is responsible for. Yeah. I'm not responsible for the 20 years of history that came with my wife when we met. She's not responsible for the years that came with me. So if she does a thing that triggers something in me, 
it's not it's not about responsibility it's not it's not either one of our faults because we didn't we didn't create the path that we yeah. both walked for the past 20 years so it's not her fault that i'm upset or it's not my fault that i'm upset or vice versa it's it's now okay this is how we feel now if this is how we feel where do we go from here what is the body communicating and we and we're back we're back at looking at ourselves and the situation to determine What's the best step? That's really interesting because I think that especially in society, there's like with cancel culture and there's just a lot of like, we are hyper reactive, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, for sure. So I feel like if you could just um, do a national seminar where everyone, everybody has to listen to it or something like that. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. And so then your last one is let's see. Yeah. Let's see. is all about the experiment. So yeah. we spent three perspectives talking about ideas. Mm-hmm. Let's see is let's make it real. How do, what, how do we take what we've talked about and turn it into out of session practice? You know, so how do we hold on to, I, if we're going to hold on to I am broken for a week, how do we do that? Mm-hmm. What's the what are these the practical steps to make this a reality, something we can practice over the next week? Uh, because we're still engaging with that idea, mm-hmm. and maybe over the course of the week they'll have some realization while engaging with it that they'll bring back to the session. So it's it's all still a part of it. They're they're using an idea that they showed up with or that we engaged with to see themselves. And then they're practicing with it outside of session in the way that we come up with. And to the point of at some point having a realization that leads them to knowing what the next step is naturally rather than it being a forced thing. I like that. And I feel like it's also such like a, a gentle way of saying things. Mm-hmm. Let's just see. Yeah. We don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. And I think that 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 is how you build self-trust sometimes is to say, I'm just going to trust myself to try it, to Mm -hmm. try this on and see what happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't create this. I heard, I overheard someone say it and I, but I also use it with my clients. I tell them it's like trying on new clothes. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, we're going to try this new shirt on. And you know what yeah. you do when you try on clothes, you look in the mirror, you dance around a little bit and, you know, you twirl or you walk outside and say, hey, how's this look, folks? You know, whatever you do. And if you like it, you keep it. Mm. And if you don't, you put it back on the shelf. There's no pressure. There's literally no pressure. You put it on the yeah. shelf and you do something else, you know. And so that's that's our approach with with let's see. We hold on to it for a minute. We'll try this shirt on. We'll yeah. see what it feels like. We'll work with it. And if it works, we keep it. If it doesn't, we let it go. I like that. I like that a lot. So one of the things that I wanted to ask is, is what are some of the signs of people? So if all of this is to help people to see themselves, yeah, really be able to see themselves, what are some of those signs that you see when people first, maybe it's the first time they sit down in front of you or you're in those first few sessions with them and you have like this, ability to like with everything that you know that you could tell that people aren't seeing themselves clearly yeah if that's how you would phrase it that they don't see themselves clearly so i i think the major thing for me then and we all ask this question and it starts with the word how (laughs) how Mm. do i how do i how you know it so for me it, it starts with the question like what's the thing that they're searching for what's the thing that they're wanting um because 
things that we things that we don't question are things that we are already familiar with in terms of seeing ourselves. You know, like I don't I got this backpack. I didn't ask myself, how do I put it on? You know, I just I just put it on. Like I, I know enough about it. I've had interactions with it. And so I just put it on. So when they show up and they're saying, you know, how do I become a better communicator with my partner? Yeah. So that that for me is a sign that they're just they're 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 not seeing what is already a part of them and knowing how to work that into the question or into the answer. Um, so that that's that's generally how it is. But that's I mean that's all of us in 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 many ways when we ask the question how. Yeah. But I like that because that even for anybody listening today, like you can go ahead and start thinking through that anywhere Mm -hmm. in your life that you have some questioning, it's, it's a cue, right? Mm -hmm. Of being able to say, okay, so maybe there's something I'm missing about myself there. I haven't, I haven't either looked at myself honestly, or I haven't embraced something or I haven't questioned something. Right. Right. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll throw this in there. I think one of the, the things that makes the things that make looking at ourselves the most difficult mm. is is labels, okay. <laughs> La- labels that come from you know morals, belief systems, social norms, company policies, oh. um, you know my social circle. Yeah, there are labels everywhere, and it's. I think I, I want to say one hundred percent of the time. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, I'll say it. One hundred percent of the time, I, when I'm working with my clients, they they often bump bump up against the label that they're that they're afraid of that like connects to the answer for them, because the label of I don't want to be seen as lazy or I don't want to be perceived as a hypocrite or I don't want my boss to think that I'm not doing a good job and so all of these labels that show up. Like that's usually the the main thing that gets in the way of not just seeing yourself, but mm-hmm. but holding it. <laughs> Even holding it in a session can be very challenging because I don't want to I don't want to say that because I don't want to sound mean. Mm. And oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so put that all together. So if you had so you started off with the example of the overthinker. Yeah. What do you feel like some of those labels are? that could potentially be hindering a person from being able to see themselves if yeah, they're so the underth- overthinker. The person I was working with was a, was a parent uh-huh. and that just simply the need to be a good parent, that label, I want to be a good parent. That, that fueled yeah. <laughs> a lot, a lot of the overthinking and to, to hold on to overthinking and the label of overthinking is a bad thing if you're overthinking, then you're not really listening to your kids. If you're not uh-huh. listening to your kids and you're not being present, and if you're not present, they're going to go to jail. Like <laughs> all, all the places that the mind goes, you know, and so just trying to just saying I am an overthinker immediately creates a lot of emotions that mm-hmm. it's, it's perfect for the therapist. We can work through a lot of the things that make being yourself in this moment very difficult. It's, it's even difficult holding the belief or holding this idea as it is just because of everything that comes with it. And, and yeah. so we, we, we have yeah. to talk through that and ease some of the, the pressure of the labels. Yeah. And I would imagine that people have so many 
labels that they're not even aware of oh, yeah. because it become because it's just, it's entrenched, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just societal labels like you're talking about, um, like all the things that lead to mom guilt, those kind of things, <sighs> right? Like we don't, we're mm-hmm. not even aware of what we're believing sometimes or what we're right. letting control us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So is that one of the things that can lead to an aha moment in therapy is to even be able to name, like, I didn't realize what a hold this thing had on me, this label had on me. Yes. Yes. Just, just that can, alone. Yeah. And then when mm-hmm. you can name it, you can decide to release it. Right. You can decide what you, many things from that point. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like realizing the shoe is untied. Uh-huh. I mean, at, at that point, whether I tie it or not, mm-hmm. I, I already see. So the next time I stumble and fall, I, I feel differently than I did when I failed before knowing, before the realization, you know, oh, so that's so good. Yeah, a shift yeah. has already happened. Yeah. Like, so even having that information, it's not really about what you do with it, but it shifts the perspective in and of itself so that you what, so that you can have a, a better, like you can make your own decision of what to do with it instead of right. just automatically reacting Right. And my, my approach as a, as a therapist is I trust that they, the client knows what to do with their realizations. I, mm-hmm. I, I trust that. Yeah. And so I, I try not to, to take um, control of what they do with the realization. Right. Right. If they don't know what to do, if the next question after is, well, how do I take this into real life? Then, then I, I, I follow them with their, you know, with that. And we, and we talk it out and we look at their life and see, well, how does it even fit? But that that's definitely, that's just one of my own boundaries within the model is not determining what they do yeah. with, with the realization. For something, for some reason, I imagine that this can be a frustrating process, <laughs> especially for those clients that are like, just tell me what to do. And you're like, this is harder work. Mm-hmm. I'm sure hard work pays off, right? Because (laughs) like you said, you're coming to your own conclusions that only you can arrive at. Mm -hmm. As I see, absolutely see the value in it. But I imagine that there's sometimes in that process of just like, ah, I don't want to have to see myself. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because listening to what someone else says is always easier. It's so much easier. It's so much easier. It's painful. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Because then we live with their expectations. And a lot of times those, I mean, majority of the time, so it's don't fit us. Yeah. But it's the easier approach. Yeah. I yeah. Like that. But you know what, though, Julie, I think on an, an, with with this model, I'm not afraid to work with any idea, any. Yeah. Because so even the person who says I'm comfortable, I'm most comfortable listening to others to tell me what to do. I say, OK, that's 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 an idea. Let's explore. Yeah. How how does a person who listens to other people feel authentic? You know, or is that uh, is that what authenticity feels like? You know, yeah. or whatever whatever the thing is that they're you know struggling with. Yeah. I just I just bring that idea into it. It's so it's 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 not a me forcing them to mm-hmm. put away something. If that's what they have then we explore that because they can have a realization mm-hmm. even within, I like listening to other people. I don't like to make decisions on my own. Okay. Let's, let's hold that. Let's actually make that true. This is true about you. 
I don't listen to myself. No, I don't. All right, let's talk about it. Now let's explore. Let's mm-hmm. explore life, the life of a person who doesn't listen to themselves. Mm-hmm. We, can exp- we can explore that. It's, it's, it's an idea. It's an idea and any idea can be explored. Yeah. I think what I'm really admiring right now about your process is that this can be really, really hard for a therapist, but I think it's so important. You come in with no agenda of your own. Hmm. Do I not have any agenda? I don't know. I might have I mean, an I th- agenda. I think you have an agenda to help, <laughs> but even yeah. hearing you say, I'll explore any idea. I'm not... Yeah. I'm not opposed to going down any road that they're taking me on because that's their truth and it's their lived experience. Right. And for you to be able to say, let's go with that, let's work with that um, and see where it takes us. I think that that shows that you don't hear something and say, oh, I think you need to change that. Because mm-hmm. it would be really easy to say, no, I want you to become someone who doesn't have to listen to other people and can Mm. learn to listen to yourself. Mm. But that would be my wish for that client. Right. Exactly. And what you're saying is, okay, well, you're telling me about you. I'm not telling you about you. You're (laughs) telling me about you. Right. 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 That that can be very hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was that stumbling block that I, that I ran into when I, in my early years of therapy Yep. because I was trying to make them live life the way I lived. Yeah. And I, and and so I'm like, you see the door being open is the problem. Just close the damn door. Like, yeah. close it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So just, I'm showing up every week, week after week, telling you to close the door. Just close the door. But mm-hmm. that's my solution. It's not mm-hmm. theirs. Theirs is, I like the door open. Okay. All right. You like the door open? So rodents can come in. So what do we do? How do we live with open doors? And, and that just changed everything yeah. for me. <laughs> It does. It does. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm kind of looking over the notes that I had and I don't think I have any more specific questions. Is there anything yeah. else that you want us to know about shifting perspective? Um, I think that's, that's, Did we cover everything? yeah, we covered, we covered so much. This was, I mean, uh, I have a million more questions. We might end up doing a part <laughs> two on this because this is so fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I do ask all of my guests that I want to ask before we jump off is, if you could go back and tell your younger self one thing now that you have this life experience and, and not necessarily about your practice or anything like that, but just in general, if you could go back and tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? Hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know if I would tell him anything. Really? <laughs> yeah. I think the way that I live, I, I reference my older self a lot, just mm-hmm. when I'm talking to talking to people, talking to my wife. And so I feel like whoever I am, you know, 20, 30 years from now, I'm already communicating. Like I'm, I'm, I'm already like in sync with that person. Yeah. And so if I could, if I, if that could actually be a literal thing where I could see my younger self and say something specific to him, I think I would already, I think I'm already him, you know? And so yeah. the, the fact that my older self sees the younger self lets the older self know, hey, well, at least he gets to this age, you know? So I, I don't know if I, I don't think I would tell him anything. I think he's, he's just fine. He's just fine as he oh, is I with all, all the experiences 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to help him to get to me. And that's me, the older self, saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here today. (laughs) So I'm going to make sure in the show notes to put um, your contact information because I have feeling that uh, people are going to want to reach out and just hear a little bit more about you. And yeah, if we we do another season of this, I'm definitely going to have you back on so we can pick your brain some more. (laughs) This was was amazing. I, I really enjoyed conversing with you this is this has been this has been great i really enjoyed it julie thank you so much i know everybody else is going to enjoy listening to this as well that's all we have for this week so i hope everyone has a good week and we'll talk to you later thanks for tuning in to this episode of outside of session remember while i am a licensed therapist this podcast is not a substitute for individual therapy The contents of this episode are for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911 for immediate assistance or dial 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline.